0: This podcast of the Model Health Show is presented to you by Sean Stevenson with Rare Gym Productions. For more information, visit the seanstevensonmodel.com. Welcome to the Model Health Show. This is fitness and nutrition expert Sean Stevenson, and I'm flying solo today, and I'm so grateful to have you here. We've got an amazing show lined up for you guys, and I've been wanting to have this guest on for a long time. This book is just paramount in the conversation, changing the conversation of what's going on with our health and our wellness in our world today. And we have the author of Mind Over Medicine. I refer back to this book often and, you know, for many years I've been studying great teachers like Dr. Bernie Siegel, Dr. Larry Dossey, and really looking at the mind-body connection and how our thoughts And the way that we perceive reality really does impact what's going on with our bodies at a cellular level. Now, by you being a fan of this show, you know this stuff already, you know, but we're going to dive in deep to really create that strong neural association and let you know how powerful you are to affect change with your body. Before we get into the show, we're going to give a quick shout out to our show sponsor onit.com. Head over to O N N. IT.com forward slash model, and you're going to get 10% off all of your health and human performance supplements. You know that I'm a huge fan of the krill oil. Just had some this morning with my brekkie, you know, with my breakfast. To get your DHA, your EPA, these essential fatty acids are crucial to building your cell membranes, all right? Basically, the brain of your cell really helps to enable the communication between the cells of your body. You have upwards of 100 trillion cells that make you up All right. And so that communication is super critical because just a little bit of unrest in that community of cells can lead to a total breakdown. And it really starts with the basic things, you know, really making sure we're getting the right essential proteins, essential fatty acids, and also essential glyconutrients, you know, essential carbohydrates. A lot of people don't talk about that. And so somewhere that you're going to find that is in some medicinal mushrooms. And that's where the Shroom Tech Sport and Shroom Tech Immune products, I really love those as well. So head over and check them out, onnit.com forward slash model for 10% off. The Next up, I want to talk to you about really quickly the launch of the expanded edition of Sleep Smarter. And I mentioned this already in the past episode, and I'm super excited about this, guys. So Sleep Smarter is coming out Nationwide, all the local bookstores, everywhere online, March 15th of this year, March 15th, 2016. And it's really a dream come true. We're really hoping to change the health conversation, especially in the domain of sleep and getting our society on track with that. And, you know, when we initially published the book uh, about two years ago, you know, we sold thousands and thousands of copies and just all these stories poured in. And many of the major publishers were kind of fighting to get their hands on me in the book. And so I ultimately went with Rodale, who is there like a family now and just really amazing to work with. They made the process of writing this book and really fleshing everything out that needs to be said right now for everybody possible. You know, wonderful editors there, wonderful team. And I'm super excited about this guy. So make sure that you pre-order the book. Head over to sleepsmarterbook.com. You can check out all of these incredible bonuses that we have For pre-order in the copy of the book including like free food from thrive market you know they're actually giving away free food it's like walking into your favorite natural health food store and just getting some free stuff you know we're actually giving away that some other cool stuff as far as even being able to possibly win an Intellibed, right a whole bed right premium top of the line you know so really cool stuff going on and if you want to get more information also about what's going on with the book, where I'm gonna be on my book tour, the tour dates and stuff like that, head over to sleepsmarterbook.com forward slash launch and you can get information about that, stay up to date with the book launch, major media that I'll be on, the tour dates like I mentioned, and also some exclusive bonuses you won't get anywhere else, but definitely first head over and pre-order the book, sleepsmarterbook.com, so you are ready to roll when the book actually comes out on March 15th. I appreciate you so very much. And now on to our special guest and our topic of the day. Our guest today is Lissa Rankin, MD, New York Times bestselling author of Mind Over Medicine and The Fear Cure, is a physician, speaker, and founder of the Whole Health Medicine Institute. Lissa has starred in two PBS specials and featured in countless other major media outlets. Lissa loves to hike, ski, and dance. <laughs> she lives in San Francisco Bay area with her daughter. And you can read her blog and learn more at lissarankin.com. And I'd like to welcome to the Model Health Show, Dr. Lissa Rankin. How are you doing today, Lissa?
1: I'm great, John. Thank you so much. I'm just delighted to be here with you and your people.
0: Let me tell you, oh my goodness, I'm so <laughs> honored and excited to have you on. Your book has been just a game changer in my life and the lives of countless other people. It really changed the health conversation in Madison. period. But I'd love to know what really prompted you to write this book, Mind Over Medicine, and what's the book about?
1: You know, it's been such an interesting journey, Sean, and the, the new book that I just put out, The Anatomy of a Calling, actually tells the whole story because for me to answer that question would take days, but I'll give you sort of the cliff notes, which is that I was trained as a very conventional Western medical doctor. My dad was a doctor. I went to places like Duke and Northwestern, sort of the the ivory towers of conventional medicine. So I don't come from a background of openness to alternative medicine or shamans or, you know, mind, body, anything. I mean, my dad kind of made fun of things like that. So I was that doctor until 2007 when I hit a point where I felt like I was really in violation of the integrity of my soul. And Mm -hmm. when I say that, I know that those of you that are listening, some of you are in jobs that are like that right now where, yes, maybe you get the comfort and the security and the stability of a paycheck and status or whatever, but you go to work feeling like you're selling your soul a little bit every day. And when I started my job in 1999, I was expected to see 25 patients a day, and by the time I quit, I was expected to see 40 patients a day, which meant that I was double-booked in 15-minute slots. So I was trying to be a healer in seven and a half minutes, and that was one of many things that made me feel like I was out of integrity with my soul. But I was, you know, I had a newborn baby. I was the full-time provider for my family. I had obligations, right? I was a responsible doctor. So uh, there's a whole sequence of events that led to me quitting, and it was very, very scary. But after I quit, I realized that you can quit your job, but you don't quit your calling. Mm. And I had been called to medicine the way priests are called to the priesthood. It was like a spiritual mission. So nine months after I quit, I was in this real sort of existential crisis. I ended up starting an integrative medicine practice in Mill Valley where I had an hour with my patients because they were paying cash. So I got to actually experience what's it like to spend a whole hour with a patient. And what I noticed is that people were starting to have spontaneous remissions and I wasn't really doing anything. So this began the journey that led me down the rabbit hole of Mind Over Medicine because my patients, this was a very, very unexpected outcome. Because I live in Marin County. Like, for those of you that know Marin County, this place is filled with health (laughs) nets. Like, these people work out with their personal trainer, and they've got their raw vegan diet, and they're, you know, doing their yoga and their meditation, and they've seen their acupuncturist and their naturopath, and they've also been to the best doctors at Stanford and UCSF, and they were some of the sickest people I'd ever met in my life. And I've worked in sick places. I've worked in the inner city of Chicago. I worked with Somali refugees. So I didn't understand this at all. Like These people should have been the paradigm of health. And it kind of threw in the face of everything I had been taught, like, what does it mean to actually be healthy, like what really contributes to disease and what really makes people heal? Because by the time they were coming to see me, they had charts three inches fat, and I was reading through, and they had already had everything done, and I was just talking to my patients. I had an hour with them. So I would just open my heart, (laughs) and sit down, and I would ask them questions like, sweetheart, what is your body saying no to? And people would burst into tears. Mm -hmm. And then I would say like, okay, what is your body really going to need in order to heal? And they would say things like, I need to quit my job. I've got to leave my husband. I need to move to Santa Fe. Mm -hmm. I need to go back to art school. I always wanted to go to art school. There's a a song in me that's still unsung. I need to find and fulfill my calling. And most of my patients, after they would say that, they would be shocked by what came out of their mouth. And most of them would then say, Oh, no, I can't do that. (laughs) Right. But a few of them got really brave and they started actually doing, I called it writing your prescription. They were writing their own prescription. And they started actually doing what they had said, what their body needs in order to heal. And their symptoms started going away. I had people that had had severe symptoms for 10 years, who within three months were symptom-free. And they would look at me going, holy crap, what just happened? And it was very confronting for some of these people because they didn't want to believe that they actually had the power to reverse their symptoms without an external intervention. And it was very confronting also for them to realize, like, what? Maybe I could have done that five years ago? So I always told them, like, don't blame yourself for what you didn't know. Now you know, and you've done it. And let's celebrate and be grateful. But I got very curious. This is what began my own journey is, what was that? And I landed upon, I started really asking a lot of questions and becoming very curious. And I I stumbled upon the spontaneous remission project that had been put together by the Institute of Noetic Sciences. And it's over 3,500 case studies in the medical literature of people who had cures from seemingly incurable illnesses. And they defined this by either people who had cures from medical treatments that were deemed to be incurable treatments, for example, people with stage 4 cancer who were given palliative treatment, but then they were completely cured, right. or people who had no medical treatment who declined treatment and became cured. And this was shocking to me. What is this? And why is this happening to my patients? So the Mind Over Medicine is the result of that <laughs> rabbit hole. And man, Sean, that has taken me on one hell of a rabbit hole yeah. that I'm still on. And that, yeah. that journey just began... I closed my medical practice in 2010, so it really began around 2009, 2010. Wow. So I'm the new kid on the block. (laughs) (laughs) I'm in kindergarten here.
0: You've made a huge impact already, and like I said, (laughs) this is something that I refer back to often because of what you've taken is, and this stuff was already out there, you know, this was in the medical literature all over the place, but you had to go and do your due diligence and just kind of search and find and scowl the internet, basically, and the libraries defined these studies, you compiled them and you also made them make sense to the average person, which is the fact that, you know, especially with this audience, you know, the Model Health Show community, we know the power of, right, nutrition and exercise and, of course, the power of high quality sleep, but what's really left out of the equation is the fact that the way that you think, you know, your mind, your belief system intimately impacts what's going on with your physical health and you shared that in this book in particular now this is what I want you to talk about if you would the placebo effect you know and talk about how you know it's so crazy that there's studies done all the time that are up against a placebo to see how effective this particular drug or surgery is but oftentimes the placebo is pretty effective in and of itself so can you talk a little bit about that
1: yeah absolutely so you know I started looking for, is there, you know, certainly in the new age community, there's this kind of, you can heal yourself, what sounded like mumbo jumbo to my, you know, scientific rational mind. But I started getting curious, like, is there any evidence? Is there any really good solid evidence that the body can heal itself? And of course, the first thing I stumbled upon is all of the data around the placebo effect, right? We know this. We know that 18 to 80% of the time, If you are studying a new drug, treatment, surgery, whatever, we need to have a control of a placebo, a fake pill, a fake surgery, a fake injection, because 18 to 80% of the time, people will get better from the fake treatment, right? right? So that's built into all scientific studies. And on average, it's about 30%, 35%. So we sort of have to build that into clinical studies. Mm -hmm. But I started thinking, well, what is that? What is that? And do we have data? And so that led me a little further down the rabbit hole. And I ended up interviewing some very, very interesting people, including Ted Kapchik at Harvard, who is the head of the program of placebo studies at Harvard. Because Ted was one of the first people who started studying the placebo effect on purpose, right? Because most of the placebo trials were the result of pharmaceutical trials that were funding their own drug. You know, they're studying their new drug to prove that it's better than placebo or not. But Ted was like, let's study the placebo itself. So, for example, he started doing studies where people were told, this is a placebo, it's a fake treatment that we believe is going to help you. And people still got better. Hmm. Interesting. Even if they knew it was a placebo. So things got real interesting. I ended up defining, in Mind Over Medicine, I defined the placebo effect, as a combination of positive belief and nurturing care. Because when I was talking to Ted, I said, is it just belief? Is it just that they believe the treatment is going to help them? He said, honestly, Lisa," he said, I believe it's the nurturing care part is actually more important. It's the healer. It's the person in the white coat who is not only holding that belief with the person in the study, but is also there comforting them and holding their hand. And loving them, even, which is kind of a radical thought yeah. in medicine these days. Yeah. And he's trained as a Chinese medicine doctor. He said, when people come to me, they just get better, whether I give them anything or not. And this, of course, is what was happening to me. Yeah. I wasn't giving people a fake pill or a fake treatment or a drug or a surgery. I was just loving them, yeah. and they were getting better. So I broke down the data, and in Mind Over Medicine, if those of you that like to geek out, the, the actual studies proving that positive belief affects health outcomes and that nurturing care affects health outcomes are all in the book. Yeah. Then I I went further down the rabbit hole. I said, okay, what's happening? What's happening when somebody has positive belief and the support of a nurturing, caring healer? What's happening in the body? And this is the part I think that has been so radical for a lot of people, and I, I talked about this in a TEDx talk that I did. I've done three, but the first one has gotten a lot of attention. And we are told, if you look in any human physiology textbook, we know that the body has natural self-healing mechanisms. We know this, right? Every day we make cancer cells and the body fights cancer. Every day we're exposed to pathogens and the immune system takes care of it. Every day there are uh, mechanisms that go on that are anti-aging mechanisms. They're anti-infection mechanisms. You know, they, things break down, things get messed up in the body and the body knows how to fix it. But this is what nobody ever taught me in medical school, so I'm going to highlight this part. The body has natural self-healing mechanisms that only operate, they only work when the nervous system is in the relaxation response.
0: Right.
1: Now, there's two states of the nervous system. There's the sympathetic nervous system, or fight or flight, the stress response that was described by Walter Cannon at Harvard. And the relaxation response, which is the parasympathetic nervous system, this is the homeostatic relaxed state of the body that is the state of repair that was well described at Harvard by Herbert Benson. And those two systems are, you know, this is the autonomic nervous system. They're always going back and forth. The body is only supposed to be in the sympathetic nervous system when your survival is at risk. Right? So this is a good thing. We want the sympathetic nervous system because this is what's supposed to be activated when you're getting chased by a tiger. Right. <laughs> right? But the problem is in modern society, if you look at data, we are in stress response. We are in fight or flight over 50 times per day. Yeah. And every time the nervous system is in fight or flight, the body's self-healing mechanisms are flipped off.
0: Yeah, and Dr. Rankin, this is why, you know, and just even looking at this, we don't have tigers chasing us now. you know. So it's like, what is going on behind the scenes that's causing us to react this way so frequently?
1: Well, this is why the book that I wrote after Mind Over Medicine was called The Fear Cure. Right, right. Because what I realized after writing Mind Over Medicine is that the real problem is the limbic brain, the amygdala in the brain, cannot tell the difference between a tiger chasing you and a thought that says, my wife doesn't love me. Or, you know, I'm not good enough. Or even something stupid like, oh, there's red wine on my white carpet. These will yeah. all trigger <laughs> stress responses. Yeah. Thoughts will trigger stress responses. Thoughts of what could be of sort of dress rehearsing tragedy. Or, you know, thinking about right. the worst case scenario will trigger the stress response. And the the nervous system can't tell the difference. Right. So this is why I had all these people in Marin County that have a perfect diet And they're working out every day, and they're doing everything right, but they were having stress responses two hundred times per day.
0: Right, and so the
1: self repair had broken down.
0: It's also important for people to understand, and you mentioned this, but just to really understand this in a very clear way, that this is a binary system. You know, it's either one or the other. You're not like a little bit in parasympathetic. You know, you're either in it or you're not. And most of us, oftentimes throughout the day, we're jumping into that sympathetic system and really a good label is sympathetic dominance, you know, and just living our lives like that. And I love how you said dress rehearsing tragedy, you know, and thinking about... That's
1: Brene Brown's term. I stole that from Brene Brown. I love that term.
0: Yeah. Shout out to her. So good stuff comes from her as well. But it's up to us to really understand, like, we have to do something. We have to be proactive in taking back our relaxation response, you know, because... Right right. now, we don't have the threat of the tiger chasing us. We don't have the threat of trying to procure our food, you know? So we have these, a lot of, quote, first world problems, and we have this really expansive, just amazing mind that can think outside of what is and think of all these potential problems and also potential good, you know? So I love the fact that you've, in sequence, written these books and really start off with Mind Over Medicine. But I want to ask you some things, and just to share with the audience, some of the things in Mind Over Medicine the very specific research that was put in there regarding, let's give an example, because when you talked about people having spontaneous remission or somebody healing when they actually didn't even get a treatment that they thought they got, can you share a little bit about the placebo effect, the placebo impact on cancer, for example, with people having the same experience of having chemotherapy, but they didn't actually have chemotherapy?
1: So here's part of what I realized about placebos. Every time you give a person a placebo, you are activating the relaxation response. Okay, so here's the, this is the mechanism. And placebos are not all equal. Two placebo pills is better than one. Certain colors are better than others. A placebo injection is more effective than a placebo pill, and a placebo surgery is the most effective. So the more people believe that they're getting an intervention that's being given to them by a nurturing, caring healer, the greater the effect. And all of this, I believe, is related to the nervous system now thinking, it's handled. I'm getting the new wonder drug, or I'm getting the new miracle treatment. And the nervous system is now relaxed. So you can imagine the person coming into the study is very anxious. They have a cancer diagnosis, or they just had a heart attack, or whatever. They're very anxious. And now they are in the study of the miracle cure, the next new thing, the cutting edge, right? Their whole system relaxes. And all those spontaneous healing mechanisms that are active in the body suddenly are now able to take over. But, you know, obviously this isn't really practical on the level of like, we don't want to go around doing a bunch of fake surgeries or giving people a bunch of fake pills. So the next part of my exploration was, well, what do we do with this information? And if really what's happening is that the placebos are activating the relaxation response. What can we do in our lives in order to put our nervous systems in the relaxation response more of the time? And there are sort of two ways to think about this. You know, one is sort of the easy way that we've all heard of, right? We know meditation is good for us, right? We know that there are things that actively will relax the nervous system, like playing with animals, singing, dancing, working out creativity, you know, making art, sex, all of these things are things that we know there's good scientific data. And again, for the skeptics or the geeks, all of the data is in Mind Over Medicine, all referenced if you want to see where the original data comes from. But we know that adding into your life things that are meant to relax the nervous system, that is of great benefit, but it's not enough. And this is the part people don't usually talk about. It's not enough. So, in other words, you can add a meditation practice to your day. But if you're still going to your toxic job and living in your toxic home life with your toxic partner, mm. having toxic thoughts, then meditation may help to counterbalance some of that. But it's not going to eliminate those stress responses.
0: Yes. So glad so, that you brought that up.
1: Yeah. So the deeper inquiry, and this is where it starts to go to the level of real personal and spiritual growth. The deeper inquiry goes into what are the areas in my life where my life is out of alignment with my truth or my soul, whatever you want to call it. And this is what was going on with my patients when I was seeing these patients in Mill Valley. I was asking them the difficult questions and I was creating a safe enough container for them to actually go deep into those questions where they were able to tap into their intuition and really sense what might be at the root of their symptoms. Like, you know, if your illness could give you, and I won't even say illness, if your symptom, let's say you just have a sore neck today. If your sore neck had a message for you about where your life might be out of alignment with your truth, what would it tell you? And one of the exercises that I have clients do is to write a letter. Dear Sean, love your neck, (laughs) you know, (laughs) and really just let your neck speak. What does it want to tell you? What does your cancer want to tell you? What does your obesity want to tell you, right? Like what is going on here at a deeper core level of how is your life out of alignment with your soul's integrity or with what you know is true, but maybe you're too scared to admit because you don't want to rock the status quo or you don't want to get out of your comfort zone.
0: Right. I think that's a wonderful exercise and it's just pointing back to what actually does the healing in the first place. You know, in our modern paradigm, we really, and this is the power of placebo is that we buy into the fact that the medication is going to work and not understand your body is actually doing the job at the end of the day and having that communication, opening that conversation between you and your body, which the funny thing is like you're with your body all the time. But so many of us are disconnected from that and we don't really hear the communication, the cries oftentimes, and the things that are creating joy and happiness. We don't pay attention to it to really link up the strong neural association. And just to point back really quickly, because this is leading into something that's really important to talk about where you're heading with this, but I just want to point this out that definitely I encourage people to check out Mind Over Medicine and understand that there's a lot of scientific basis to everything she's saying, as she's already mentioned, you know, and I've got the book right here. So there's one really interesting study where there was this supposed to be a miracle procedure done for knee surgery. Can you talk a little bit about that? And they were actually doing a sham surgery and it ended up being more effective than the actual real surgery. <laughs>
1: well, this was a great study. This was, you know, there was a, an orthopedic surgeon, who was kind of famous for being the sports medicine doctor for all the athletes and such, and he had his famous knee surgery. And bless his heart, he did a really good job designing his study because he wanted to prove that it wasn't just the placebo effect that was working, it was his actual knee surgery. So he set it up so that people were either getting his miracle surgery or a sham surgery where they were awake and they're looking at the TV screen, right, and they're getting arthroscopic knee surgery, but they're actually watching somebody else's surgery, mm-hmm. and he's down there making noise and splashing around and whatever, but all he's doing is making an injection on the knee and then sewing it back up. Yeah. So what they found two years later was that the outcome was essentially the same. They, both groups got better, but for a while, the placebo group was actually better more quickly yeah, Most likely because they didn't have the trauma. From surgery. Exactly,
0: exactly. And what so, you cited in the book, it was 71% of those got better versus 67 overall for who actually had the surgery. And you just said yeah. it, they didn't have the trauma from the surgery itself.
1: That's right. And his conclusion, and this is where I think things get confusing in modern medicine. His conclusion was, well, my surgery doesn't work. But I'm going, wait a minute. <laughs> like the ritual of that surgery worked really well. Right. So this is where things get confusing. And so in Western medicine, in the evidence-based medicine paradigm, the conclusion is often that if it's not better than placebo, it doesn't work. But often, like for example, antidepressants, they have a 75 to 80% placebo effect, Mm. but that doesn't mean it's not working. It just means it's not working better than a sugar pill. And the sugar pill actually has less side effects. So it puts us in sort of a a double bind, you know? And I think this is where scientists kind of wish the placebo effect didn't exist. And I'm like, wait a minute, let's try to recreate the placebo effect. How could we do this without putting people through a fake surgery or without lying to them? And so the second half of Mind Over Medicine is really based on, okay, if the placebo effect is working because it's putting people in relaxation response, what does the data suggest about how we can put the nervous system in the relaxation response without surgery and fake pills. And this is actually my favorite part of the book because I think it's fascinating. Like, if you asked me based on my review of the data what I think the greatest health risk is, I would not say it's smoking or drinking or not working out or eating a bad diet. Those things obviously, you know, are factors in health. But I would say the number one risk factor for health, and people don't like this answer, I would say the number one risk factor for health is loneliness. And the reason I say people don't like that answer is because they feel helpless in the face of their loneliness. They would rather have me say, it's diet because I can control my diet or it's exercise because I can control my exercise. But they feel helpless in the face of not having a tribe, not feeling like they've found their soul tribe or not feeling like they've found their partner or wanting to have children and being infertile. or <laughs> Those kinds of things feel helpless to them. But if you look at the data... If you look at blue zones, where a greater than usual proportion of people live to be over 100, they live in these strong communities where, I mean, you can imagine the single mom who doesn't have good support, who has to take care of the kids and go to her job to make enough money to pay for the kids, and then the school calls, and one of them sick, and how does she do her self-care, and how does she keep her job, and how is she going to pay the bills? You can imagine the number of stress responses that are going on in her nervous system compared Like, I am divorced, I have a little girl, but I live in two houses with nine people and three children, so I have six adults helping me, including my ex-husband who lives next door, and so you could say I'm a single mom, but I have so much help and a whole tribe of people that are allies trying to take care of each other. So if somebody needs money, if somebody's sick and needs chicken soup, if somebody needs help with their job, like, we all support each other, and that is what the nervous system needs we need each other but there's all kinds of other factors too like for example people who participate in spiritual community or spiritual services who go to church or go to temple or whatever and it's not about religion but it's that combination probably of tribe and belief in a higher power those people live 14 years longer Mm. than people who don't have that that's an interesting statistic right
0: true true yeah and i've come across that several times you know and This is, all of this really gives way to a bigger understanding that, and I want everybody to be able to walk away with this today, which is absolutely what you eat matters. The exercise and movement matters. Your sleep matters. We cannot leave off the table the fact that the way that you think, community, you know, and just even hearing this from Lissa, the fact that loneliness is probably the biggest influence on your health. And what I say, I've said this dozens of times on this show, Lisa, is that I feel that the number one most influential factor on somebody's health and their success in life is their relationships.
1: Absolutely. You know, there's good data that show that people that have a strong support network with healthy relationships have half the rate of heart disease compared to lonely people. And, you know, that's the number one cause of death in this country. So. There's lots of data like that, and it's your attitude too, Sean. I mean, Mm -hmm. happy people live 7 to 10 years longer than unhappy people. Like, optimists are 77% less likely to die from heart disease than pessimists. And yet, when was the last time your doctor prescribed treatment for your loneliness? And this is actually the cutting edge of what I'm really interested in in my work right now. I am in the process of trying to figure out how can I leverage my online community to bring people together locally, not just mm-hmm. virtually. Right. But how can I help alleviate people's loneliness by bringing them together with people who care, who they can touch and hug? Because if you look at the nervous system, Facebook friends do not relax the nervous system the same way <laughs> sitting in a circle of humans that you can see and touch and feel their energy field in yours. So Facebook friends are great. I have lots of them but it's not the same as actually sitting next to somebody and being comforted
0: right and also so that's
1: actually something that i'm really passionate about right now is building soul tribe how do we do that
0: yeah yes and one of the benefits of that a big benefit as you know is there's a change in our hormonal blueprint when we're around other people as well that we love that's right. oxytocin for example that's you know right. the cuddle hormone and i remember dr sarah godfrey told me this, that you know women especially do oxytocin really well. Yes, we do. And that translates into so much more health and happiness in every other area of your life. This is why women need that women time. And guys, we need to encourage our girlfriends, our wives, our better halves, quote, better halves, to get out and have time to be with other women. You know, just for that, Felissa said, is the soul tribe. You know, to have that soul tribe time, because it's just going to bring back so much good to you. And you probably know this already, the guys listening, when she has time to go and just do woman stuff, when she comes back, (laughs) you are seen in such a better light, you know, as a result of that. So encourage that. And I encourage that across the board with everybody and also guys, we need to do the same thing. You know, we need to give ourselves permission. And also, and I know this really spoke to a lot of people, Lissa, that, you know, this being that loneliness is such a huge part of our well-being and our health and they're just like well wow i mean what do i do about this well you just brought up the fact that we're in the most overcommunicated time in the history of the world in one way but undercommunicated in the way that matters most so to get out of our you know online endeavors as much and get into more face-to-face and there's so many different resources for that and I love that you're looking to expand that but some of the just general ways is there's meetup groups everywhere you know you just go online type in your local city right. and meetup group and then put it maybe in a subject in you know business meetup group uh, raw food potluck you know you mentioned raw food earlier you know this stuff is going on all the time and this is what the technology can lend to exactly. but we got to get out of our little shell that we put ourselves in and get around more people.
1: I was really having this conversation a lot with one of my dear, dear friends, Scott Dinsmore died this year and he was 33 years old and he had a blog called live your legend. And Scott had actually created, I was participating in this. I was part of his first event of this and Scott had created live your legend local with one of his followers, Steve Aaronsberg and they had created, I don't know, over 200 Live Your Legend local groups around the globe. And Scott and his wife were traveling around the globe to meet up with these live groups that had gathered together around the idea of living your legend, which, you know, I just wrote a book called The Anatomy of a Calling. So the idea of finding your calling and, or living your legend is really another area of passion for me because, again, just like loneliness and community can affect health, you know, doing work you love and feeling like you're on purpose and feeling like you're really fulfilling your soul's mission on this earth is another way that significantly affects the relaxation response that reduces stress responses and increases relaxation responses in the body. So those two areas of relationships and work, I think are so critical when it comes to health. And there are other areas too. I created a whole wellness model called the whole health Cairn that's related to relationships and work, but also you know, sexuality, creativity, spirituality, your environment, your mental health, your finances, all of these things. There's data linking all of these things, as well as, of course, diet, exercise, you know, these physical health things, which is just one of the 10 stones in the whole health Cairn that I created that's in my TEDx talk, if any of you guys want to see it. And it's also in Mind Over Medicine. And you can actually download copies of it at mindovermedicinebook.com. There's a free kit that has copies of the Karen. A lot of health coaches are using it as a wellness model for their health clients. So that issue of work became yet another passion. So you know, I think both of those seeded for me the passion of participating in creating community for people because it's such a nerve, it's such a pain point for people. And I know because I've I've had that experience of feeling like you don't belong or like you don't really know where to go for comfort. But I've also had the experience of having my job triggering stress responses, and right. my new book tells the whole story of how incredibly painful and traumatic it was. Uh, my med- twelve years of medical education and then eight years of practice yeah. of Chronic, repetitive stress response all the time. And I was taking seven pills by the time I was 33.
0: Incredible. So your new book is The Anatomy of a Calling.
1: The Anatomy of a Calling, A Doctor's Journey from the Head to the Heart and a Prescription for Finding Your Life's Purpose. Yes. So it's a memoir. It's about me and my story, but really it's about you and your story. It's about what does it mean to have a life purpose and how can you tell if you're living it? And I use Joseph Campbell's Hero's Journey as a map so that we can locate where are we on that journey to finding and fulfilling our purpose. For lots of people, they're still at the phase that Joseph Campbell calls the call to adventure.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Where you're in your soul-sucking job, but you've heard the call to adventure. Maybe the call to adventure is saying you really want to be an artist. Or, or maybe the call to adventure is saying you feel called to volunteer at this nonprofit in Africa, you know, or maybe the call to adventure is saying that you need to quit your job to take care of your sick grandmother. And the, the part that comes after the call to adventure is the refusal of the call, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. right? Because the hero's like, no, 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 I can't do that. That's too scary. So I, I really it. wrote the book that I wish I had been able to read back when I quit my job in 2007 because I was so lost and I felt so scared. And I had no idea what I was going to do with my life. And if you had told me 10 years ago that I would be doing what I'm doing now, I would have said, there's no way that's possible. But, you know, I think finding your calling, it's like the universe gives you little breadcrumbs, and you only get one breadcrumb at a time. You don't get shown the whole trail of breadcrumbs that's going to take you where you're going. You get shown one breadcrumb. And if you're brave enough to say yes to the first breadcrumb, and you take action then you'll be shown
0: the second breadcrumb. <laughs> that reminds me of Scooby-Doo and <laughs> how they always used to feed Scooby with his Scooby snacks to go get him That's to right. do what they wanted. He's like, I love, that. I love that. I love
1: so... that. I might have to quote you on that. Just, just forget breadcrumbs. You'll get one Scooby snack.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so everybody, channel your inner Scooby-Doo. Roo? Roo? <laughs> so in the book, actually, and you related this, and again, I've talked about this several times even before getting my hands on this amazing book, the anatomy of a calling, but you referenced the fact that it's been found that doing work that you view as your calling, you actually find that it prevents burnout, you know, work burnout that a lot of people experience just like being overstressed and just through, like they're just done with their work. 40% of the time you can prevent that when you're doing stuff that you love. And I know this intimately, I know that you do too. It's like, it's not even work, you know, when you're doing the thing that you're here to do, it just feels like, the most natural thing. It just feels like a part of who you are just feels, the word that's coming up for me as I'm thinking about it just is clarity. You know, there's this immense clarity and it feels good. It's not to say it's not hard. You know, there's definitely some struggle points in that and you really becoming a master of the craft of whatever you're doing. But that's one of the things that's really important to point out. And you've mentioned also the fact that not doing work that fulfills you, you know, not being on your mission, not following the Scooby Snacks you are actually invoking (laughs) this stress response
1: response. on a much
0: more regular basis.
1: That's right. And, you know, I think, not to get overly spiritual, but I think there's something, at least in my experience, I do have a very deep spirituality, but in my sense at least, there's a tremendous fulfillment in feeling like you're being used to serve love in the world. and everybody has the opportunity to serve love in the world in their own unique way. Right. And it's a sort of sacred service. And I know because I love my work. You know, most of my time I'm writing or I am I run a training program for healthcare providers called the Whole Health Medicine Institute for doctors and nurses and energy healers and life coaches and therapists and such. And I feel so on purpose when I'm doing that work because I literally feel like the divine is using me to bring into being one of God's holy ideas. Like, that's that feeling. And that feeling of deep fulfillment, of feeling like I've been training my whole life, everything, every trauma I've ever been through, the pain of my divorce, the traumas of my perfect storm that I talk about in The Anatomy of a Calling, every mistake I've made, all of it has made me perfectly qualified to do the work that I'm doing right now. And that feeling of fulfillment is so much more rich and joyful than any of the ego fulfillments that I've had in my life. And I've had lots of them. Like, it feels great to get your book on the New York Times bestseller list. But it's nothing compared to that feeling of sitting down one-on-one with one of my mentoring clients, for example, and knowing that I am being used to wake somebody else up or to be part of somebody else's healing. It's a deep feeling of fulfillment that far surpasses any achievement or approval that you can get in the world, or any fame, or any award, you know, it's this feeling of I'm being used, use yeah. me, is my morning prayer, right before getting on this call, use me, use me to serve love on this call.
0: Wow, I love that, I love it, I say something similar as well, before I do anything, yeah. you know, I actually do, and um, I love that, and listen, our audience, there are so many just ridiculously smart, caring people who listen to this show. And many of them are doing work that they love, or they're a sidepreneur doing some stuff that they love part of the time and then also doing stuff to pay their bills. But then there are people who, you know, they, if they're honest with themselves, like, I can't stand my job, but I have to make ends meet. I have to get by. I have to take care of my family. And that is absolutely true. I understand that. And I've been there as well.
1: Me too. But it's understanding,
0: (laughs) right, it's understanding.
1: I wound up $200,000 in debt after quitting my job. Tell me about it. (laughs) Tell me (laughs) about student
0: loans. Okay, (laughs) so, and understand, you know, there's always a way and it's really tuning in and following people that have gone before you, you know, it's not like you're just jumping out the window without a parachute, you know, you've got a parachute, but it's just going to take some time for you to get the room for it to open you know, to be in the clear. You know, you've know, you still got to make the jump. You've got to make the leap, you know, but it's getting yourself prepared and maybe taking the parachuting class by somebody who's been there before you. And that's what this book is really about. And one of the things you talk about in the book is trusting yourself. Can you talk well, a little bit more about that?
1: I can, but I wanted to start by sharing something that one of the common questions I get asked is how do you know when it's time to take a leap of faith? And what I say is that When the pain of staying put exceeds your fear of the unknown, then it's time to leap. And I say that, and you don't have to wait. Like, one of my mantras is cave early, right? You don't have to wait for the pain to get as extreme as it got for me before I took my leap. But it's okay if you need to. In other words, like, my soul was kind of whispering to me that I needed to quit my job for years years before I actually quit and I ignored it and I was suffering the consequences of physical illness and my relationships were falling apart and I was suicidally depressed and so you know I didn't cave early (laughs) I waited until the pain of staying put exceeded my fear of the unknown I had no idea what was going to happen but I knew it was going to be better than what I was doing And so I just wanted to say that to comfort and give permission to anybody who kind of has that soul whisper that's saying that it's time to make a leap. But if you're not ready, it's okay. It's okay to not be ready. Like, you'll know. When the time comes, it will feel like survival. It won't feel like a choice. It will feel like survival. And I guess that's related to the question that you just asked, Sean, about trusting yourself. I believe that all of us have this little part of us. I call it your inner pilot light. And you could call this your Christ consciousness or your Buddha nature or your highest self or your soul, but it's this part of you. I see it as the little divine spark that animates all of us. All of us got one the minute we became human, and that little spark will probably go on after we leave our body. So it's that spark of consciousness that connects us to the collective consciousness that is the part of universal intelligence or whatever you want to call I don't like to use the word God because it triggers people. But whatever you want to call the force of love or the force of consciousness that comes into the body when we become human and leaves the body when we die, that inner pilot light never goes out. It's always there. And it gives us information. It gives us clues. It gives us Scooby Snacks (laughs) (laughs) on our life path. And it speaks to us in the form of intuition. It speaks to us in the form of synchronicity. It speaks to us in the form of, I call it signs from the universe. Sometimes it's the cosmic two-by-four where Mm, doors get slammed shut or doors miraculously open. And we're kind of shown this way. You know, the Taoists call it the Tao, like the path of flow, the path of ease and grace and the soul's fulfillment of finding and fulfilling your calling or of aligned relationships or, you know, all these different facets of of your life. And that inner pilot light is what I have come to trust. And it's different than the voice of my ego, which I don't trust. And in the Anatomy of a Calling, there's a very embarrassing chapter about my ego. I call her Victoria Rochester. And when my publisher read this chapter, they're like, are you sure you want to tell the world about the truth about Victoria? And I was like, well, yes, because I've made peace with Victoria and she's part of me, but I don't trust her to drive the wheel of the car of Lyssa. I want my inner pilot light at the wheel. And Victoria can be strapped into the back seat in a car seat because she's actually sort of emotionally about seven. Hmm. She's like my wounded child, but she's part of me. So it's not about rejecting her. It's just about, I don't trust her, but there's this other part of me that I trust to give me guidance in my career, to give me guidance in my relationships, and this inner pilot light will guide me in ways that sound absolutely crazy, right? Like what doctor goes to school for 12 years and incurs $200,000 worth of school debt and then quits? (laughs) Who does that? But my inner pilot light told me this would save my life. Yeah. Wow. So I think we all have one, and it's about cultivating... Your relationship with that. And actually, for th- any of you who happen to be on my mailing list, my blog post that goes out today is 30 ways to hear the voice of your inner pilot light. And I think it'll be posted on my blog at com today if it's not already. So if that resonates with you, but you're not quite sure how you do that, this is like very practical advice. It's a very long blog in response to a daily email that I send out, which is called the Daily Flame and it's messages from your inner pilot light. And we get questions all the time saying, thank you inner pilot light for giving me guidance in this email, but how can I hear you myself?
0: (laughs) Mm, Right. You know, there's so many things that came up for me while you were sharing that. (laughs) Um, I remember doing the Myers-Briggs test with some really just advanced, super smart practitioners who I uh, really understand the system. And they gave the analogy of like the four positions in the car, you know, the front seat positions in the back seat and who's in the back seat, you know, and how to actually tap in and utilize the different parts of us, but without with making sure the right person's behind the wheel, you know. And also I thought about Beyonce's alter ego, Sasha Fierce.
1: That's right. So That's right.
0: that came up for me as well. So it's utilizing the different parts of us without it controlling our life and our decisions is what That's I really right. took away from that. And also, I mean, there's so many not just with the recent blog post, but in this book, I mean, there's some wonderful, it's really about tuning in and asking questions, you know, asking questions of yourself and having the audacity and the courage to just do that, you know, instead of running around, you know, like a hamster on a wheel and poor hamster, shout out to hamsters doing (laughs) cardio all the time, but running around (laughs) like a hamster on a wheel and not really just taking the time to really understand who you are, and what you're about, and ask questions like, does this feel right? Is this the thing that I really want to do? Even though this might be tough, is this leading me to where I want to be? You know, just simple stuff like that, and getting honest, and also just having the courage to make moves, follow the breadcrumbs, right, Scooby Snacks. The
1: Scooby Snacks. And
0: we'll get there.
1: That idea of the inner pilot light is, has been a thread through the last three books. Yeah. Because in Mind Over Medicine, the inner pilot light is the foundation stone of the whole health care and that's actually the voice when I was asking patients, what does your body need in order to heal? That was the voice that was answering that question. And in the fear cure, there's you know, a whole lot of practical information about how to align with the inner pilot light. And then in the anatomy of a calling, it actually tells the story of what happened when I started following that voice and how you can start to discover that voice for yourself. So if there's any thread, because sometimes it looks like I'm all over the map. I'm a doctor. I'm a professional artist. I'm talking about relationships and spirituality and health and creativity and, and whatnot. But if there's any thread that kind of connects my work, all of it comes back to what does your inner pilot light say about your relationships? What does your inner pilot light say about your work? What is your inner pilot light telling you about your health? And it's all related because when we start to trust that part of us, And we have the courage, and that's what the fear care was about, when you have the courage to let that part of you take the lead, everything changes. And this is really about spiritual awakening is what we're talking about here. This is about enlightenment, right? Not to, you know, diminish the impact of that. But that's what happens when you start living your life in alignment with your truth. Everything changes. And you start to discover that it opens you to a, a certain flow That looks miraculous, and The Anatomy of a Calling is filled with miracle stories. It's filled with mystical, magical stories that are going to sound impossible. Some of you are going to read them and say, wow, she's really just crazy. But these things have actually happened to me. Like the whole story of how I ended up starting the Whole Health Medicine Institute. I never planned to start a training program for healthcare providers, but the miracles that led me to that are like astonishing
0: (laughs) right right and it's all scripted out here and it's amazing story i mean the thing is all of us have these amazing stories you know it's just when do you realize that there's this higher purpose behind it all and i really appreciate it because what you're doing with this piece of work even though it might be outside of the paradigm of popular culture this is really about developing into true mental emotional and spiritual adulthood You know, and and putting an
1: initiation.
0: Yeah, yeah. Put in your big boy, big girl pants on. And it's just, I really do appreciate you putting this together. I know it took a lot to make this, and also, of course, Mind Over Medicine is just a highly, highly recommended book that everybody Mm -hmm. needs to read. So, Lisa, can you please let everybody know where they can actually find your books, and also where they can find you?
1: Sure. Well, my regular website is just my name: L I -S S S A R A N K I N, and I'm on Facebook under that name. Lisa Rankin. My books all have their own websites and each one of them has a free product that's a ton of content. So if you're not ready to go out and buy the book yet and you want to just get a teaser, there's a lot of free content at the latest one is theanatomyofacalling.com. Mind Over Medicine is mindovermedicinebook.com. And The Fear Cure is thefearcurebook.com. You can find all of those through lissarankin.com. And for any of you that were really resonating with the inner pilot light, the daily flame, which is a daily email that's kind of a love letter from your highest self to your wounded child is at innerpilotlight.com. So I have a lot of different websites, but you can kind of dance around the main website to find your way to those various things. And the latest book that I wrote, the anatomy of a calling is really like the book I've always wanted to write. And it really actually incorporates everything that the other books are about it's really a calling for me to serve all of you who are out there participating in this kind of transformational shift in consciousness on the planet in your own form of sacred activism. And like I said, for me finding your calling really is about how can you choose love every day in your own industry, in your own family lives and in, in standing in line at the coffee shop. It doesn't have to be grand. It doesn't have to be some big thing. So I just want to like really, make a call out to those of you that feel drawn to that message. The the latest book is actually for those people. It's for those kind of the world healers, you know, because now is the time for the world healers to rise up and say yes to their hero's journey. So I just want to thank, thank you all in advance for having the courage to participate in this global shift in consciousness, wherever you are in the world, doing whatever it is that you do in your work.
0: Lisa, thank you so much for sharing that. And wow, everybody definitely check out uh, Lisa and all of her work. I mean, wow, these are things that are part of who I am, a part of my psyche now. And that's really the power of books and the power of getting ourselves around and connected to people like Dr. Lisa Rankin. And I just thank you so much for being the person that you are, for having the courage to walk the path that you have. And I just want to Just thank you. So thank you so much.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Sean. And thank you for having the courage to find and fulfill your own calling. And to those of you, I know that there are people in your audience that are already doing that. They have already taken brave risks. They've already been through the initiation of their own hero's journey. And I want to just really thank those of you who are on your missions already. And to those of you who are still scared, that I just want to send love and comfort and Respect, because I remember that part of the journey, too, and it's there's nothing wrong with that. I just always want to say that, like, there's no judgment, there's no shaming, there's no, like, there's nothing wrong with the people that aren't ready yet. I have a big place in my heart for that, because I was that person for a long time, so I just want to send a hug (laughs) to (laughs) anybody who's still refusing the call or hasn't heard it yet. (laughs) Yes,
0: big virtual hug. And again, thank you so much, Lissa. This has been amazing. Everybody, thank you so much for tuning into the show today. I hope you got a lot of value out of this. I know that I did. And remember, you know, whether it's, if you get a cut on your finger, for example, your body knows what to do to heal that cut. There's an innate intelligence that really governs everything. But if you take that cut and you just keep reopening it, you know, by participating in the same behavior that created the cut in the first place over and over again, it's not going to heal. If you take that cut and you start pouring like Hawaiian punch and rubbing like uh, frosted flake crumbs into the cut, (laughs) it's probably not going to heal. You know, that really speaks to the power of right nutrition. But also it's understanding that your mind can actually impact the healing process of that external cut as well as what's going on with our inner body. And this is well-documented in the research, you know, because your mind is connected to every cell in your body. It's not some rogue idea to understand. This This is very, very kind of commonsensical once we look at what's really going on behind the scenes and look at the research, you know, because today we're oftentimes, we're very science minded people and that's a wonderful thing, but we need to use that for our favor and understand that we have to also have our inner game right and understand that our minds are impacting every cell in our body. So thank you so much for tuning into the show. Have an amazing day. And I'll talk with you soon. And make sure for more after the show, you head over to the Sean model.com. That's where you can find the show notes. And if you got any questions or comments, make sure to let me know and please head over to iTunes and give us a five star rating and let everybody know that our show is awesome yeah. and you're loving it. Yeah. And I read all the comments. So please leave me a comment there and take care everybody. Promise to keep giving you more powerful, empowering, great content to help transform your life thanks for tuning in thanks for
1: listening